You're listening to Tune Raiders, a gem of a podcast. We talk about art, creativity, entertainment, and many other topics. Hosted by Mike Lopez and Lalo Verde. You're only as good as your last film. You're only as good as your last project. So we have to do that again and again. Finding really great talent and also having an environment to retain them. We've always had an incredible depth of talent out of our Dallas studio. But as we grew, we knew that we needed to uh, expand our talent base and expand that from a worldwide audience. Dimanche, Sunday, Patrick Doyon. The Fantastic Flying Books of Mr. Morris Lesmore, William Joyce and Brandon Oldenburg. La Luna, Enrico Casarosa. A Morning Stroll, Grant Orchard and Sue Goff. Wildlife, Amanda Forbes and Wendy Tilby. And the Oscar goes to... Fantastic Flying Books of Mr. Morris Lesmore, William Joyce and Brandon Oldenburg. When asked what the biggest challenge was in making this film, William Joyce says, not giving up. They did 375 setups in five days. It nearly killed them all. And still, it was the most fun they've ever had. It's been a part of our DNA ever since we were children, and it's made us storytellers. Thank you, our wives. Oh, God. Thank you, our families. Especially my kids. The Academy. within the company. I think it's fair to say we all love sci-fi. I think that the mixture of pushing technology through creative ideas is a big part of why Fly School exists. The job that we've created for ourselves here at Fly School is basically to be futurists. Half of the team are scientists, and the other half are storytellers. I wanted to work at Flight School to grow as an artist and a technician, to push how we use 360 to tell stories. We look at gameplay abstractly, and we're always thinking of like new ways that the mediums themselves can be innovative. There are associations with content that people have that I feel like we can break down the definitions of. We're all about what's next. We're all about what's not there yet. We start projects where the hardware that we're delivering on isn't created yet. Welcome, everybody, to this new episode of Tomb Raider's Podcast. First of all, I'm just going to introduce our first gym. His name is Chuck Pale. How are you, Chuck? Hey, Mike. Hey, Lalo. How you doing? Excellent. I'm just going to talk real quick about Chuck. So, Chuck is the Executive Vice President and Strategic Partnerships from Real Effects, working for more than 10, 20 years in this company and as founding member and head of business development strategic partnerships with Real Effects, Chuck has participated in the steady growth of the studio from its inception. The Real Effects studios are located in Dallas, Texas, Hollywood and Montreal. By the way, Montreal is beautiful. And have multiple films in various stages of development. He is a executive producer of the animated movie, The Book of Life, among others. Thank you so much, Chuck, and welcome. Thanks so much, really happy to be here. And now, ladies and gentlemen, our second guest, Brandon Oldenburg. Mr. Brandon, how are you, my friend? Hey guys, thanks for having us. Feel fantastic. ¿Cómo estás, mi amigo? <laughs> Excellent. Good. Thank you for having me. Excellent, man. Uh, So, Brandon Oldenburg is an Academy Award-winning film director, designer, and immersive storyteller. Beside the Oscars, Brandon has received four Emmys, multiple Gold Lions at Cannes, including the Grand Prix and host 
of the other industry athletes. As chief creative officer of Flight School Studio, Brandon leads the team of creative directors and artists who produce innovative stories with new technologies. And prior to Flight School, Brandon co-founded Real Effects and Moonbot Studios, both leaders in animation and emerging technology. It's really an honor uh, to have you both in this space and just tell us about you. <laughs> Thank you for yeah. having us. This is amazing. So we're Chuck and I have both been talking about wanting to share stories about the the past and uh, basically the past 27 plus years of working together and the journey we've been on. We, we keep telling ourselves for at least a decade that we need to like start documenting and sharing a little bit more about our history since it's pretty much um, hasn't been heard. And so this is maybe the starting point for us to document and share with the world. Thanks, so thank you for giving us this platform to start to give a little bit more background about how the companies have all formed and how we've enjoyed uh, working together and being best friends it's, for all these it's, years. Um, Great. For me, it's where do you start, really? <laughs> there's, there's so much. Um, yeah. You know, one of the things that whenever we talk about our journey, you know, you hear a lot of people talk uh, about their journeys, and often it's the great things, you know, all the successful things that they highlight. But uh, honestly, I think that the real interesting stories are the hard ones. It's boring. The, the, those are the weeks mm -hmm. of, hey, yeah. hey, it's a pretty good week. We can have top ramen noodles and maybe a little chicken on the side, you know, for dinner uh, or, you know, right. the tough times. But I think, you know, that's the, that's the uh, you know, as Brandon, you said earlier, that's the authentic journey. And, it doesn't, and even 27 year, years later, you have your ups and downs. But I think those are the, those are the things that, that are, are important in how we started our company. So, um, I mean, Brandon, you were in just, bef you started just before I did as it got going. So maybe, you know, in the early days it was just four right yeah <laughs> right so you know i went to art school uh in the early 90s to pave a way for an illustration career doing freelance illustration and then i, I had a, a a love for filmmaking too and had been doing that all through my grade school and high school years with uh you know stop motion with our gi joes or making little movies with my friends but eventually i you know I, I had a love for drawing, and that's what led me to going to art school. But coming out of art school, I reconnected with some friends who I had art class with in high school, and they had started a company called Real Effects, doing you know visual effects for commercial work. Yesterday, mm -hmm. Mike, you worked for them. There was one; they were one of the clients, and so coming on board with them very early on, you know, I, I shared over that first lunch where we were reconnecting, and I said, well. Have you guys considered, you know, con making animated movies? I think we could do that. We could create a company to make animated feature films. And that became our Mount Everest for the studio. And it, it took a long time to finally get there. But now looking back uh, over all these years, uh, you know, the company has made over eight animated feature wow. films. A lot of them work for hire. But, um, you know, some of them original. Um, Book of Life being one of those. And so... W You know, I'm super proud of seeing the company achieve its goals and then also being able to reboot itself and establish new goals. Mm -hmm. um, it, it says a lot to be a company that is still around after 25 plus years. You know, we looked at uh, companies we aspired to be like, for example, like Rhythm and Hughes, and it's crazy to think they're no longer around. Um, and so it says something to be an American-based studio and to not be on the Western East Coast and to still be in existence. Uh, that, that, that really does say something. And it's a testament, I think, to the hard work that Chuck has put into the company every day to keep uh, the doors open, as well as, you know, the 400-plus employees that do a lot of hard That's work, too, to keep the doors open. <laughs> um, you, know, you know what? I, uh, I'll never forget kind of a funny story. M my path to this business uh, was pretty crooked, you know, I was I was <laughs> I was in the fast food business first, coming out of college, and um, I, I'll, I'll I'll keep the, sh the story short. But um, 
I just was, you know, we were putting in 18 hour days, you know, putting in several uh, Arby's restaurants. And I mean, it was an okay business, but it was just a grind. But, the th but I was hollow, you know, there was something missing in that. And um, so I was working with my business partner at the time and I wanted to come out with a plan where we gave each of the store managers a little percentage, like some st a stake in the, in, in the shop. And he thought that was the, you mm -hmm. know, the most ignorant idea at all. You know, he said, I'll, I'd never do that. He, he, he was, he had his masters, he was very business oriented. And I, and I looked at him and said, if you're paying people barely anything, first of all, and you're not giving them incentive, th this is a house of cards. So I was kind of disillusioned. That weekend, uh, we went up to Toronto and for a fast food convention, that's a that's a fun time, you know, a bunch of fast food people. And um, <laughs> in the middle of the square in Toronto, there was this beautiful big tent that was blue and yellow, and it had a little circus wagon out front, and it said Cirque du Soleil. Now, Cirque du Soleil, this was not like, it was just Cirque du Soleil. This is after Guy, the guy who founded it, had taken all of his incredible performers and banded them together and said, hey, let's create a story and put it into a tent. So nobody, I didn't know what it was. It was 10 bucks, we went and got tickets. And for me, this was that moment where I, f I call it a lightning strike, where I just got hit by lightning and all the cells in my body just, I could feel them change. I still have goosebumps about it because um, I got emotional, I couldn't talk. Everything about that experience coming out of there was so, amazing and I looked at my partner I said what did you think Raymond and he thought it was a ripoff and he would never do it again so that was my moment and I said to myself I don't know what that <laughs> is but I want to go do that and so I bought the eight track tape and the Betamax or whatever was available this is years ago and um, all I know is that this thing was in French and I and I knew the whole story and so sometimes, you know, for me, the, the lesson was, I got to go find that. And once you tune into the frequency, that's kind of what I did. It was like, hey, I got a yellow Volkswagen. And when you get your yellow Volkswagen, you, you think you start seeing them all the time. All of a sudden, other yellow Volkswagens show up. No, it's just because you started to tune into it. And when I did, I kind of got connected, found some creative people. And it was a um, studio designer by the name of Russ Berger and said, you know, there's this group, <laughs> Brandon and the team, that are doing something, and you should meet them. And when we met, we all connected and said, I'm in. And, uh, and then, wow. the, you know, the four amigos went off and, you know. So I, I envy the path of somebody that knows the art. But for me, I'm an artist, and my art comes in appreciating incredible artists. That's kind of the, so that's how I got in, you know. Absolutely. Chuck is the champion for all artists, and he's also very creative, um, not only with, you know, aesthetics and storytelling, he's very creative when it comes to how we navigated the world of, you know, breaking into the industry and being creative with how we presented ourselves to get a chance and uh, get an opportunity to actually compete on a national, international scale. That was the most difficult thing is being in a place in the world where entertainment is not normally birthed out of and then to be able to get the attention of those who make decisions and um, help you know distribute entertainment that was the one of the biggest challenges is just finding windows of opportunity and busting through them and Chuck is a master at maintaining relationships and creating relationships and finding those opportunities that l led us to the next level um, but that, but into, I also you know, think where we are now. That at the end of the day, you're only as good as what you represent, right? So, you know, um, mm -hmm. I'll never forget the friend. <laughs> this is a funny story. Actually, it ties to, to Dieste. It ties, it ties to Jesse Diaz, of all people. Is it okay to say that? Oh, um, okay. So, yes. So I had to... <laughs> From Dieste, Jesse. So we had this from pri yeah. Maybe I think that this was still. Uh, maybe he was still at um, Group uh, J Barry Brown's agency, the Hispanic um, Grupo Qua Grupo Quattro. Yes, 
Yeah, yeah. So the, anyways, yes. uh -huh. they had the Gatorade account. You know, and up to that time, we had done like local television commercials for like, um, you know, a, a mechanic shop or something. You know, so we were just barely making it. So we had this opportunity to do a like a, a Gatorade spot. I'd never been in a meeting with Brandon before, so I I dress up all fancy. I don't do that anymore, and so I had my little <laughs> double-breasted suit on, and I was trying to be cool and. And I knew this was a big chance, so Maribel and Jesse come over, and we started talking, and Brandon pulls this clipboard out. And he's over there, I think he's writing stuff or just doodling. And I'm trying to engage with the clients, asking them questions, and I was getting irritated. I was like, God dang, you know, like at least at least look at them. Like I was and finally I said, Brandon, do you have anything anything to say? <laughs> and, and he's sitting there like this and he takes his clipboard and he turns it around and he goes well I kind of sketched out the spot for you and here and he'd done storyboards oh wow and in that moment it was like and and we got the gig just based upon that and for me the learning moment was for, for a person like me you just wind a creative person up point them in the right direction and get out of the way and, and when you do that, right. magic happens, right? You d and you're there to help set the boundaries. But I don't know if you remember that, Brandon, but that mm -hmm. was such a funny day. I was like, the clipboard. You probably still have that clipboard somewhere. <laughs> no, I, you know, coming right out of art school, I was still was very shy and very quiet. I learned actually how to talk and uh, present myself by observing Chuck um, and his charisma. It certainly can never be achieved by any other mortal human but you know chuck has a certain level of charisma that i think we can all Anyhow, aspire to. that's that's for us you know that's where he and i connected and, and I, actually what was fun was um we started coming out to los angeles right out of the gate because brandon brandon had this vision I, everybody wow. bought into brandon's vision which was slightly delusional which was let's go make animated movies you know <laughs> there, there wasn't any other there was there's games gaming you know and so we just started we started yes. grinding and we take these trips the cheapest trip we could, like we had to connect the flight three times and stay at a Motel 6, you know, and and, uh, and uh, <laughs> so many funny stories in those early days, but we'd grind seven or eight meetings a day and not, you know, I'd wow. say 80% of them, didn't, nothing came out of it, but it's, well, it started, we just kept persistent, you know, you know so. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's all about persistence. It's all about seeing an opportunity in even the most sort of um, menial of jobs. But you, you go, oh, you know, wait, you know what? That opportunity through that spot or that job will be a great calling card to open the next door to get us one Correct. step closer to a longer form piece of entertainment. So you just always have to find it's your creative if you're a creative person you will have to be creative when you look at things you have to envision where it will take you and the opportunities that it may present to you and so there's never really a job that you shouldn't take in the sense that that if you can see a stepping stone to your bigger goals even though it may be a tiny stepping stone it's worth taking because it will lead to a relationship. It will lead to uh, a window of uh, being able to have a conversation with somebody about what you do. And most importantly, if you just stay the course and you do great work, inevitably people will notice. Exactly. And I believe it was on a, um, a, a commercial we did, a Texas lottery commercial mm, okay. that we were doing where we were animating coins. And it was a scratch-off commercial and these coins we, we came up with very dynamic storyboards and an approach that hadn't been seen before in a commercial where uh, it was like a Busby Berkeley um, musical where all these coins are jumping into a fountain and it was synchronized swimming and it had water effects it was very elaborate for a Texas lottery commercial but we happened to be we were able to have a set designer that did the fountain and the, all the foliage around it that had just come off of a Robert Rodriguez film, Spy okay. Kids, and she was observing us, and she was like, hey, you remind us of this guy that we work with, and I, and I said, I know who you're talking about, I've read his book, I, let's, it's like, it's, she's like, yeah, I just finished Spy Kids, and we're talking about doing a, a second film, 
I think you guys should meet because he would probably really like working with you. And sure enough, that led to an opportunity for us to have a, like a small window to present ourselves. And we had many months to prepare. Right. And so we, Chuck and I went back to the drawing board and said, okay, how are we going to make an impression on Robert Rodriguez? How can we make him undeniably want to work mm-hmm. with us? And so we had seen Spy Kids, and so we made a spy kit for him. We, we put in a mini DVD player and a cell phone. It had a special video that played. It came with a cryptic message in the box that said, press play. That was it. And then at the end of the video, it said, press send on the phone, which then would call Chuck's cell phone. Oh, wow. Very and clever. And then we would start to engage in a conversation. So we, we prepared all of this. Now, sounds cool, but it, it completely failed on delivery. We, 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 we intended to have it just sort of sitting on his desk through our relationship with the production yes. designer. But when we got to Austin with this box on the one day that he may be in the office, we literally are getting out of the car when this rusty old truck pops up, the dog jumps out of the back, and there's Robert Rodriguez looking at us like, why are you out in the middle of nowhere at this warehouse? Who are you guys? And we're like, and we have this scary-looking black case that looks like it could have a bomb in it or something. And he's like, what do you got there? And I'm like, well, okay, you weren't supposed to get this this way, but here you go. And then... He was intrigued, wow. and then he ended up opening the box in our presence in his office, and the, he still pretended we weren't there. He watched the video. He called the uh, cell phone. Yeah. Um, but it did seem like, okay, great, we're going we're gonna to work together. But at the end of that meeting, you know, weeks and months went by, nothing mm-hmm. happened, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, one morning, we get a phone call. Hey, can you come to Six Flags? <laughs> Robert Rodriguez is shooting a movie, and he would love to see if you can help him on this series of shots. And so we show up to set with no idea what we're doing, and then the next thing we know is that we're doing the first 15 minutes for Spy Kids 2, and Bill Paxson is there looking over my shoulder while I'm sketching what these amusement park rides need to look like. The vomiter, (laughs) the whippersnapper. All of these rides that Robert was basically, I don't know what to do here. You, you, we want a ride that's going to be right here, and it does this right. thing. Go. And the VFX yeah. supervisor from Canada was like, this, he was like overwhelmed. He's just like, you take all of this. I don't want any of this. <laughs> and that was, again, like we were crazy enough to think we could do uh-huh. that, first off. Yeah. We didn't have the pipeline in place to turn around those shots in that way. But we figured it out. It's about getting the opportunity and then, holy crap, figuring out what to do next. Wow. And, and I'll, one, one thing that came out of that um, is we, it, we, we use a term called okay. sizzle. You know, because, you know, you, like fajitas or a steak, when the steak comes out, somehow it tastes a lot better if, mm-hmm. if there's a little sizzle. And the idea of just doing the spy kit and delivering it to him, that became the start of many other things. That's how we do everything. We, still to this day, We'll use the word, hey, what kind of sizzler are we going to do? Why? Um, we're not trying to buy the business. We're not trying, you know, what, but what we're trying to show is enthusiasm and creativity. We're, enter- we're in entertainment, yeah. right? So if we're going to bid, bid on a project or if we're trying to get something, we always come up with these really crazy, weird, and fun things that are always um, received with such enthusiasm. Whether or not we get it, they go, dang, we, you know, we want, I want to work with you guys because the passion you put in that, I know will end up on the screen. And the funny thing is, Brandon was sketching stuff that day, and one, at one moment we're looking at each other and we said, are we hired? <laughs> or like, I guess we're working. You know, for every 10 amazing spy kit boxes or whatever it is that we make, you know, only one of those actually turns into a real job. But you can't lose that sort of childlike exactly. wonder and excitement about potential. And Chuck could oh, wow. probably tell us the story about when he dressed up as Santa Claus. <laughs> cool. I want to hear that. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll, I, I, I don't want to chew up all the time. But um, so there was this project we were developing called Ornaments. And it's a story of Christmas ornaments on a tree that have kind of an east side, west side uh-huh. vibe to it. Meaning... Handmaids, the handmaids versus the store box, okay. right? And it's all about every year coming out of the box and being placed on the tree. So we had a um, an opportunity with a company called Artisan okay. Entertainment, which was pretty big at the time. This okay. is years ago. And so uh, we had a meeting with an executive 
okay. in New York City. So we're like, damn, this is amazing. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what are we going to do? What's the sizzle? So uh, we put together a basket. We had handmade cookies made in the ornaments, stay, you know, everything. And I thought, okay, we're going to send this. We're going to deliver this, but we got to have Santa Claus <laughs> deliver it to him. So, so I arranged for. Um, there's a company that that uh, rents out nothing but Santa suits. That's what they do, all, you know. So I arranged for it to be delivered to the hotel. I was two blocks from Edison Entertainment, right near um, right near Radio right. City Music Hall, right right in the middle of the everything. So. Um, the day of the meeting, the meeting was happening at 2 o'clock. I wanted Santa to go up there around 11 o'clock, deliver the package, and disappear. But the guy calls me, and he can't play Santa. So I'm like, what the? What am I going to do? Well, I guess I, I guess I have to be Santa. So I grabbed the suit, grabbed a pillow, grabbed the basket, walked to Artisan Entertainment. This is before 9-11, so the security wasn't right. as, you know crazy as it was right. post 9-11 uh, <laughs> but the security people are looking at me going excuse me how can I help you <laughs> so I am looking for Peter Von Gall at, at Artist right. Entertainment oh they're on the 20, 21st floor so I get in the elevator <laughs> you know have the Santa suit have these ornament cookies you know people are looking you know New Yorkers and I get up to the floor but I, I'm looking for a restroom <laughs> But I'm like too busy. It's the main area, so I went up one one more floor, and that was too busy. But finally, I found kind of an empty floor. I get off, and the bathrooms are locked. Ugh. I'm like, damn it! So I open the um, emergency door that goes down the staircases, and I'm like, hey, this is perfect. I'll just get dressed in the staircase, walk down. So I put my Santa suit on. <laughs> I took a couple <laughs> selfies and uh, get down to the to the floor and the doors wow. locked. So I'm panicking. <laughs> then uh, the next one, panicking. So finally I hear a voice and I'm knocking and this guy opens the door slowly. He goes, are you delivering a package? If you're delivering a package, you know that you have to go through the back entrance and he was, he was <laughs> disciplining me. And I said, no, 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 it's not that. Listen, I'm delivering this package. I'm from Dallas. I'm stuck in here. Could you just? I'm from the North Pole, and it took me a few minutes to. Yeah, I'm from the North Pole, and and so he opens the door. That was the scariest thing. Dare you talk to me this way? Yeah, don't you talk, boy? You're on my naughty list. You're getting a lump of coal. He finally lets me in, and he goes, "You know, I could lose my job for this." I said, "I really appreciate it. I promise, I'll just do my thing, and I'll go." So I I break into my ho 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 performance and. Come to the front desk, and the receptionist like, well, hello, Santa. Okay. Um, who are you looking for today? She, she goes, I've got a couple of things for my kids I want. And I asked, I said, I'm looking for Peter. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry. He just went to the restroom or he's gone. And I'm like, oh, damn. But just before I was going to turn around all defeated, here he comes. And this guy was so nice. And, you know, he grabbed me <laughs> as Santa. I gave him the basket and I told him the line was Peter you've got to help save Christmas <laughs> and he's like all right Santa and then I disappear and I'm waving well I hear the guy going Psst, you have to come this way it was oh. the guy that let me in as I'm coming he has the elevator the freight elevator coming up I'm standing behind a, uh, a case and here comes security coming out with their walkie-talkies <laughs> They go, you had a breach on the 21st floor. <laughs> you know. And long story short, they escort me down and, and are making fun of me with the camera. They're telling me to stand back and look at the camera. I get onto the street, and I thought, well, let me play Santa. And I walk down New York <laughs> playing Santa in the middle of July <laughs> and with a lot of pictures. That's and, funny. Uh, that has a great story. You we need a photo of that so we can place it in this video or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, if you can't find one, Chuck, I'll draw it. I remember yeah, the ramp, ramp. Yeah. So, Chuck, uh, I have a question for you. What is the strategy that you guys use to sell an idea for a new client? Great question. And uh, sizzle, <laughs> which is we just gave you two examples of for us 
because we had to kind of cut through all the clutter. You know, we were a small company and, you know, everything counted. And so, you know, I think probably the biggest, um, the biggest thing we could show is how do you show the passion of the studio, meaning the culture, which is really the culture and the fabric of who we are and doing it in an authentic way and not, you know, we, you know, there were a lot of studios that are very rigid or, um, we didn't want to be corporate. You know, you have to have a corporate structure and corporate, you know, infrastructure and all that. But one of the things we've tried hard over the years is to have our culture at the center of what we do and represent that when we're talking to clients in everything from, you know, how we work with them, how we integrate, integrate with them. But I would say that the one thing that's probably um, our, our secret sauce has been sizzle. The extra things that we do and when we present uh, a, uh, a proposal to a client or because at the end of the day, again, that certainly registers with them as something that um, is important, you know, that we're not going to, if we're over delivering on how we're selling or presenting ourselves, we're probably going to do that in the project itself too. You, you can't, and you can't, um, to add to what Chuck was saying is like, over time, I guess it can it can get um, be seen as laborious to always provide sizzle along with a presentation, but that is our secret sauce, and and we often more than win lose jobs, lose opportunities. It's it's a it's the nature I think of anybody's business is, you know, like I said, you lose nine out of ten opportunities, but you you still can't give up on and change the way you present yourself because that's what makes you, I say the studio, it makes the studio what the studio is. And so over time, we, we sometimes often strayed and forgot what it was that made us us and got yeah. too busy and bogged down with the just, because it's a drain. It's just exhausting to constantly be yeah. competing in the, in the world yeah. um, for this kind of work. But yeah. Every time we've won an opportunity, it was because we went the extra mile and did the most unique thing that really set ourselves apart and, and did the memorable thing. Even though with the Santa thing, for example, we didn't win that opportunity. It didn't happen. It doesn't mean it won't, though. It could still come back, and it's fun to be able to talk about something that's 20 years old. Um, but it was what one of the major milestones for growth and, and how – we realize it, it does make an impression because that relationship, Chuck, that you built with your Santa experience came back many mm -hmm. years later. It did. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a, you know, love using a movie reference. It's kind of like a Peter Pan moment, which is we've had our ups and downs in this area even, which is like as a kid, you know, when we're your young studio, I mean, it was, we were all, and then when you kind of grow up and we grew to, you know, at peak, we had 500 people. We had 500 people last year between our studios. And so you grow up and forget what it is to be a kid, you know? And so Brandon and I have been really, you know, over the past year or so, just going, we got to be the kid again. You know, where's Peter Pan, you know, and and learn learn how to fly. You know, I know those are cheesy little analogies, but at the end of the day, you can mix that. You can be a large studio and still have that as your essence, um, you know. Mm -hmm. So, that's great. That's great. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I want to. Yeah, it's super important. Now, um, next question is for you, Brandon, and this question actually divides in three sections. <laughs> so the first part: How often do you sketch? Then, <laughs> the second part: Have you thought on having a book? with all your work or biography because man I mean you have a lot of stuff you really deserve a book with your story and with your artwork etc I will be like more than happy to buy it and get it and have <laughs> it as a reference <laughs> and the and the third one please tell us about the traveling man in Deep Ellum here in Dallas uh, <laughs> because not a lot of people know but the Traveling Man is an amazing sculpture. I would consider it as an icon it is. on the Pelum. And not a, lot, not a lot of people know this, but Brandon, the guy that is right there, 
sculpted. So that's the question. Those are the three questions. Okay. Uh, uh, number one, yes, I, I sketch. I, I don't do it as often as I should, but um, I did a bunch yesterday and the day before. And um, unfortunately, good. you know, as you grow um, in your career, sometimes you, you end up steering more into um, managerial roles. Not that I do that, but I think it's producing content sometimes requires other things besides just drawing. And I consider myself more of a conductor um, in conducting art. Okay. And uh, yes, it's important to show people what your vision is and that sometimes the best way to do it is with the drawing. And that's constantly a part of what we do. But then over time, if you're going to conduct, you've got to realize so-and-so needs to be doing the trumpet solo and so-and-so over here needs to be doing that other part of the orchestra. And so then it's your job to then pull the best out of people. And then that's what I, th mm -hmm. I that's how I found myself into more of a creative and then a director role is to identify what people are really great at and then help them be the best that they can be and still work together to harmonize. And so drawing is so important and I'm very fortunate to have have had that as a skill set of mine because it, it was the only thing that I was good at. I wasn't good at sports, and I certainly wasn't good at math. And so, I fortunately was able to um, able to have family that kept me on that path, and eventually found a career that could use that skill. Um, very lucky mm -hmm. in that regard. So, yes, I do sketch. And and your second question was, uh, what was it? I can't the remember. Book, uh, the book. The book. Biography yes. of your work. Well, thank you. I mean, that's that's a huge uh, compliment to say that. And uh, I would love to compile not only my drawings, but all the art that has gone into making the career that Chuck and I have found, this trajectory we have found ourselves on over all these years. We've talked uh -huh. uh, at, at length over the last few years of how important I think it is for us to establish the milestones and the journey we've been on. And probably the best way to mm -hmm. do that would be to put it into a physical book. We would love to do that. I think we have probably the most unique, unknown uh, story in the world of animation um, that has been going along as sort of almost like a Forrest Gump through the entire rebirth and golden age of CG animation history. We've been sort of intertwined in all of that, but also we have been the um, bad news bears of all of that too. We have been the underdogs the whole time. And I think um, these underdog stories are sometimes the more compelling ones because they're the most relatable. And I think that's really important, Chuck, that you mentioned it earlier, is that we're talking about all of the, the difficulties we've run into over the years trying to dare to be mavericks and different in this, in this universe of uh, creating animated stories. So, yes, we would love to be able to illustrate um, the story of our past 26-plus years of trying to do this. And, and third, the traveling man, you talked about the sculpture that's in Deep Ellum, yes. it's the sculpture series. So interesting, uh, you, we, we were residents and had our um, offices in Deep Ellum for many years. We recently just um, moved. And there was a, a really beautiful um, tunnel that went under uh, a railroad track mm. in Deep Ellum that had all these beautiful murals on it. And the DART rail system had to tear it down. And it, you know, it was sad, but it, they came up with this contest to say, hey, mm -hmm. if you're an artist in residence in, in Deep Ellum, we invite you to present uh, what you would do as a sculpture in pairing with our new train station we're going to build. And so I gathered the entire art department together at Real Effects and said, hey, guys, I'm going to order some pizza. Let's meet in conference room one and let's just jam for an hour and think about what would be really cool as a sculptural installation in Deep Ellum. And so the entire team just threw around a bunch of ideas and we all collectively decided it would be cool to have a giant robot sculpture in Deep Ellum. And then um, I, I, ran with, I ran with that, right? And, and then I said, well, well, first off, we're an animation studio. We have no business making giant metal sculptures, but we want to make a giant metal robot in Deep Ellum. And then I knew that it needed a narrative, and so we worked hard at trying to figure out what the true narrative was behind this, this, this sculpture, and then also wanted to create an awakening of sorts, a, a series of, of them to make it, it appear as though there were more than just one. And so we, we needed to also have somebody on the team that could validate the actual construction aspect of it, and that's where 
we reached out to a friend of ours who we'd been working with over the past few years doing uh, an award for us. We, we started this Tex Avery Animation Award um, many years ago. Oh, wow. When this is, I'm going to go off on a tangent now. So uh, there is this old Dallas high school that's right off McKinney Avenue, and it was the original okay. high school of, the, of Dallas. And okay. it, there's a library on the second floor of the original schoolhouse building. And in that library, there's a fireplace. It's that old of a high school building. It has a little fireplace in this library. But right to the right of the mantle is this little framed image of a guy, Fred Avery, and his nickname was Tex. He went to that high school and had graduated in the early, uh, the 1918, I can't remember the exact year that he graduated high school from there. But right. he's the guy who invented the phrase, what's up, Doc? Bugs Bunny. All of our Looney Tune characters that um, are now going to hit Bugs the Bugs Bunny's from again. Texas. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So Tex, Tex Avery invented all of this, and he went to this high school, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know this history, and we have an animation studio here. We need to tell the world about how he's from here and get people excited about this. So at that time, the, the Deep Elm Film Festival had turned into the AFI Dallas International Film Festival, and they were asking for our involvement, and we said, hey, how about we bring this award to the, the festival, but they would call it the Tex Avery Animation Award. So I was able to track down and find his daughter, got uh, the family to embrace the idea of having this award, and then we were like, well, who do we give it to wow. first? And then we started to go down the list. We started with um, Brad Bird, and then Henry Selleck, and then Pete Doctor. It just kept, the list goes on and on for the people we've brought to the Metroplex to learn from. It was a great excuse, personally, um, but also for all of our employees to know that it's a, it's a learning experience for us to be able to have that audience with those who live and work in the industry on the East and West Coast. So out of that knowledge uh, about the history of, of the studio we, we, in the need to create an award f about this person who really formed mm -hmm. this industry, we needed an award. And so we thought, well, his most popular cartoon is this wolf. And uh, what if we made that into an Academy Award-looking trophy? And so I reached out to Brad Oldham, who works in metal, and he, he took one of our sculpts and cast it into a metal statuette, which we've made, now made multiples of that we've given out to all these different people. But, um, so that's where the relationship with Brad started, Brad Oldham. And then that's why we thought of Brad to reach in and have him be a part of the pitch for the Traveling Man series. Little known fact, that that whole thing could have gone south. Um, the day that the submission was due, uh, we literally mm -hmm. were running into the mailroom at DART to hand over the package, and it was 10 minutes before closing time, and there was no one at the mailroom station's window. It was vacant, but the window was open. And, and my car was mm -hmm. idling out on the road about to get a ticket. And so then I'm crestfallen, and I'm like, there's nobody there. And then I go back. Uh, after like scratching my head trying to figure out what to do and then the thing had been closed like someone was away and then it closed it so i begged that we could submit it monday to a person the following monday and fortunately for us they accepted it at um you know wow. 48 hours late and so we were able to be considered <laughs> we eventually won the account and got to do that series and the last thing i'll say about this is that as absurd as it is for an animation studio to do a series of sculptures, we care greatly about the city, we care greatly about where we're from, and that's what makes us unique. And, and number two, we, we had a vision, which was to create a landmark in an area where there was nothing. We said we would love to make something where people would want to have their photo taken with it that would be on Monday Night Football when they're going to a commercial break. It would be that little image that the, the Geico logo would float over or something. And sure enough, <laughs> all of that has come true. The day we opened the, and, and unveiled these sculptures, there was a bride and groom having their photo shoot in front of the series. Then, you know, wow. a few weeks later, there it was on Monday Night Football. And then over the years, it's now on the sides of beer cans and skateboards and T-shirts and hats. It's all over the place. Um, and it's we are amazing. so... It's, you know, it's, it's so rewarding to see that you've ha you have a vision for something and then people embrace it and it becomes an icon. That was the wish was that it would be as iconic as the, you know, the Pegasus and it has become exactly. that. 
Yeah, no, and congratulations, kudos for that, because also it's super strong. Believe me, gentle, uh, ladies and gentlemen, because <laughs> Texas weather, I mean, it's crazy, and it has <laughs> been there yeah. for for a while. Like the An heat, interesting fact about the roots uh, of this, this robot is that it has to go just as far deep as it is above ground. Um, I actually have video okay. of when we drilled the hole and put the base in, and it had to go down okay. 60 feet to be able to be able to withstand wind shear and all these other um, needs for sculpture. Tornadoes, etc. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's for sure. I'm going to just place uh, images, video, photos here. Okay. The word inclusion has become something that it's on the mouth of everybody. It's yeah. inclusion here, inclusion there. It's a factor that now has been used uh, from a lot of companies in terms of hiring people. How much weight did you give when you select candidates? Okay, so this is a you know, it's a tricky topic, um, mm -hmm. but he here's what I'll start with. Uh, fortunately for our studio. Um, our inclusion is a big part of our profile. It's it's in our DNA, and whether it's you know um, you know a, a gender uh, inclusion or um, you know or race or whatever, you kind of have to go into everything colorblind. And I'll say that I'll say this is that the most important factor is talent, mm -hmm. um, personality, passion, creativity work ethic and attitude, right? And that filters a lot of people. So at the end of the day, yeah. you know, yeah. that is, that's what's important. And, and I'll say attitude is a big part of that. Mm -hmm. uh, fortunately for us, when we cast our net, we cast it so that inclusion is part of that. You know, we, mm -hmm. we don't, we try not to be narrow, um, you know, <laughs> I'll be very careful here, you know. In, in certain parts of the industry, it can be old white guys, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's not what we are. In fact, in Montreal, I believe we were at 35 to 40 percent female mm -hmm. uh, at last count or at least last year. And, and, and our recruits and, and talent were representing 30 plus countries from around wow. the world. Mm -hmm. And so underneath all of that is the idea that what's important isn't a narrow perspective on what we do. So widening the net means the perspectives from other countries, other cultures, uh, from you being a male, you being a female, you know, are you African-American, you know, where, you know what, what is that culture? And like anything that's good, let's take food, when, when the fusion of that happens in the mm. world of art, that's when the magic happens. And, I, and so, you know, if we, I would say this, um, you know, we're still working hard at it. We have our own goals. And the other area I would say is important. It isn't just inclusion as far as, let's say, having, you know, being sensitive to that and, and having them, and being not only sensitive to that, but, but being cognizant and taking action, but also for opportunities for advancement, meaning exactly. giving, giving a voice at the table um, that often in maybe, you know, larger studios or companies, whatever that, sometimes that's not the case. And mm -hmm. so um, we were part, you know, we belong to women in animation. We're not trying to pat ourselves on the back for that, but um, we were in some, in some panels a few years ago at Annecy talking about this topic. And it was an interesting one because, you know, all the panelists were supposed to come and talk about how their company profile looked. And I was the only one that came with percentages. <laughs> you know, I, mm -hmm. I asked, uh, asked our, our uh, CFO, I'm going, how are we doing? <laughs> like, you know, we gotta, and that's part of it. It's like mm -hmm. at, a, at a leadership level, you can't stick your head in the sand. And yeah. you got to pop up and, and, and say, how are we doing? And if it's not representation, if it's not being represented well, why? Mm -hmm. uh, are we recruiting from the right areas? Are we, you know, so... Yeah, it's a, it's a big topic and it's, it's a hot one, but at the end of the day, you know, when we look at inclusion, uh, 
it's also rooted in finding the talent and that creativity and the passion mm -hmm. that goes along with it, you know, which yep. is super important. You know, that and, I, and the culture of the people. And the culture, and, 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 and yeah, cult cultures, culture's massive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it's interesting, you know, speaking of uh, culture, I'll use uh, food as an analogy. You can look at me and think, yeah, this guy likes food. Um, <laughs> but New Orleans, you know, if you think about the food and also the music, because Brandon was mm -hmm. talking about traveling man, and mm -hmm. also part of the story that they came up with is he looked at the history of what does Deep Ellum, what's Deep Ellum? And it had a, a massive blues, you know, music um, roots. And those musicians like Blind Lemon and all, all those guys, the, a lot of them didn't come from Dallas. They came from New Orleans. And so mm -hmm. out of disasters, out of hurricanes, mm -hmm. restaurants and uh, musicians and artists that were in New Orleans would leave well, when you know that would happen, and a lot of them would stay. So what happens is that culture and that background is then infused into the local, you know, industry of music yep. and of food, and in our case, of the arts. So who benefits? Everybody. I mean, exactly. New Orleans will always grow, and you know. But you know, I think that's the kind of the way we look at it. It's mm -hmm. um, how do you how are you how how do we look at how um, the profile of of our company and be sure that the diversity comes from an idea of fusion of all these great flavors that work together. So. I also want to just interject and just say that, you know, you know, the industry for the longest time was just a boys club. And even yeah. when I went to art school, the majority of those who are interested in animation were boys. Mm -hmm. um, and that changed and has drastically changed and is now completely outnumbered by uh, all kinds of genders and races. It is way more diverse um, all across the spectrum. And that's because the animation as a, as a medium uh, is, is now a part of every genre. And that there, there's a hunger for it on every level, even more so now with COVID, the way that we are able to produce content still even during a pandemic um, mm -hmm. makes us even uh, in a higher demand. And, you know, the thing is, we're also now realizing we're getting sick of the same stories. Um, they're all coming from a, you, the same sort of perspective. Mm -hmm. And we need more authentic narratives. And that will Correct. come through the different kinds of people that inhabit this planet, not just the, the white dudes um, that are just, you know, had been around for a while. And so there, mm -hmm. there needs to be more authentic narrative storytelling in the world, and that's going to come through an openness and an, an inclusion of everyone. And so we're excited to continue to play our part and be proactive in that space. It's very important that we're, at the end of the day, we're bringing stories to the table created by people uh, from all walks of life. Yep. And that's where something original is going to happen. That's where something unique is going to happen. That's not going to feel like some a story we've heard before. Amazing. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Thank you guys for that answer. Uh, and this question is for you, Brandon. You're going to like this one because it has to do with the Peter Pan moment on your life. <laughs> this is actually uh, a moment that marked you as a creative when you were a kid. What was that moment that sparked you and you were like, okay, this is what I want to do? <laughs> well, it's kind of crazy because um, Chuck and I were together in the same space just the other day. His daughter was in a play, a musical, a uh, children's okay. version of Les Mis, and she's an amazing singer and actress. And we were standing outside during intermission, and I was telling Chuck, this used to be an mo old movie theater. This is actually where I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark for the first time when I was wow. like seven years old with my dad. And I remember walking out into this parking lot at night, it was nighttime at that moment, and I remember telling my dad, I know what I want to do for the rest of my life. And he's like, an archeologist? And I said, <laughs> no, I, I know that people make that movie. I know that people made that. I want to do that too. Mm -hmm. and, and so he saw that in me at that age. And that same weekend, we went and found a Super 8 camera at a used camera store down the street. 
and I was, he put that in my hand, he showed me how to load the film, and I was off to the races. And have been trying to tell stories with moving pictures for the rest of my life since that moment. That was definitely, I guess, that moment that you're talking about. And it's so relevant, because we were just literally standing on my personal hallowed ground for that, that moment when it happened. And um, so that's why I immediately thought of that when you said it, because we were literally just standing there last yep. weekend. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. And part of uh, that movie also inspired Lalo and I to create this podcast. The name wow. is thanks to that movie. I know. Yeah. Tomb Raiding. <laughs> that's funny. You know? <laughs> yep. But... Yeah, so it's we are explorers. So now we explore yes. gems the, of people <laughs> and bring them here. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, so great. This question is for you, Chuck. Uh, there is a need to evolve and create the most unique animated movie nice. with tons of uh, realistic and other special effects, uh, different stories. Yes. Yes. But uh, sometimes <laughs> there are so many things and techniques to learn from old movies, uh, old uh -huh. school, uh, the 80s, 70s, and uh, 20s. Uh, how do movies from the past inspire you as a studio? Well, I'll leap, I'll leap right off of what Brandon just brought up, which was Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, um, uh, honestly, I think that what we've been thinking about, especially lately, is... Um, when you are talking about a mo an animated movie, okay, for instance, often you'll hear, hey, we want to do this animated movie, and it's kind of a cross between this animated movie and this animated movie. That's pretty narrow. Like, that's kind of a narrow, you know, it's... it's um, so, we like the idea of talking about live-action movies, you know, the classics, the things, or filmmakers that we love, you know, like... Coen Brothers and, and Raising Arizona or, you know, and how great and cinematic that is or the Spielberg movies like Brandon just mentioned or, you know, for personal, personal silly, you know, for silliness and wonkiness, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and, or, you know, if it's a more emotional journey, it's like, you know, uh, Stand By Me or The Goonies, you know, if you look at all those movies, they're live action movies. They're things that have, you know, impressed us and formed who we are as people, you know, since we were kids. You know, um, Brandon had his lightning bolt moment with Raiders of the Lost Ark in that movie theater. And so, you know, for us, I think that's what shapes us is how do you take these, you know, classic and intimate portrayals from filmmakers of the past, not out of the animation. That's like, a, you know, why go to the same gene pool? <laughs> you know, let's step outside of that and, and think about the influences that can come out of that. And how does that play? What is a, what is the influence of Goonies and the, and how incredible that was to you know for every kid to watch Goonies and go, God, I wish I was there. How does that influence an animated movie? Or how does Stand by Me feel on that journey of of, of you know the sc scariness of those kids going down the railroad track, or the craziness and of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? You know, um, I think that's how, you know, for us, I think that's the thing. Whenever we start to think about it in those terms and get out of the narrow focus of saying, hey, we want it to look like the Spideyverse. Incredible movie. We know the filmmaker really well. The filmmaker, one of the directors directed a movie, another movie called Rise of the Guardians. That's another story, which actually started with Brandon and me and, and uh, William Joyce way back as something mm -hmm. else before it was sold there. But um, that's it. It's like source your materials from something outside of the same gene pool as your influences. I think that would be my answer. I don't know, Brandon, that, if you... Yeah, to add to what you're saying, Chuck, I, I think w we as artists or creatives, we're constantly consuming content. And each, each thing that we consume, whether it's even staring at wallpaper, it's a content of some kind that we're consuming and it's an ingredient into the story that we all end up making. Or, or, or like, wait, if it's if it's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, you would be licking the wallpaper. <laughs> licking the wallpaper. Right? No, but, but seriously, anything can inspire you, whether it's uh, a wildflower on the side of the road, mm -hmm. wallpaper, or, or, or 
inspiration come from anywhere, but it's, they, these are all ingredients that you throw into that pot that mm -hmm. you stir up and you hope, hopefully tell a story that's got a unique taste to it. And that's what makes it special and, and it's what makes it you is because you're pulling all those influences together. And so when, whenever we're telling stories, we like to identify what the ingredients are. And it's, right. it's nothing to be uh, uh, something you should shy away from. You should be really blatant about it. You should talk about how, oh, we're inspired by Fritz Lang or we're inspired by uh, Capra. Um, in the way that his characters are so authentic and, and genuine and underdog, or, or we, we're inspired by the Spielberg, staying on the Spielberg thread for a moment. And maybe it's not just the film, but it was the technique and how the film was made, mm -hmm. or, the, yep. or the accidents that happened. It's inspired, it, we get inspired by the fact that the shark robot broke, and that <laughs> it became a better film because of it, because the shark is not seen, and it makes it more terrifying, and so therefore we identify, we like to identify things that have happened in the past with other things, other stories, mm -hmm. and, and learn from them. It's so important. And it, then in, it, it, in, it's, it's the way all of us artists work is that we continue to build off of each other's stories and each other's works. Mm -hmm. Whether you're a painter or a musician, you, what you put out into the world is going to seed and inspire the next work of art. And we're all building on top of it together, collectively. Amazing. Love it. And thank you. Yeah, thank you thank so much. And the last question, this is for you, Brandon. What would be your legacy to this planet? That's a big one. <laughs> well, it's funny, you're, you're talking about the traveling man, and it's been sort of a joke that it's going to be that thing on the beach after all the planet has been taken over by the apes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There you go. Yeah. It's going to be That's the little cool. smiling guy with his little <laughs> yeah. bird on his arm. Halfway in the sand. Halfway in the sand. <laughs> That's the legacy. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, no, I think, I think all, all that you can hope for as a storyteller is that your story is heard and whether it meets uh, the ears of one person and inspires them or, or more than that if you're fortunate either way it's it's you're, you're you're fortunate to get your story out and to be able to have an audience even if it's with one person of and course the, the the film that that i worked on back in 20 or 2009 to 2012 the fantastic buying books was was an homage to all storytelling and it was about how everybody's stories everybody's story matters and so it's important that you share it because that helps other people cope with their own problems that they're dealing with and to uh, realize that they're not alone. And it's, it's, we all have an amazing story to tell. It's just sometimes hard to identify it. It's sometimes hard to articulate. And it sometimes takes another person's story to get you off your butt to go try to articulate it. Amazing. So that's what I hope is that whatever it is that we end up making together, Chuck, whether it was something we did a long time ago or if it's something we have yet to do in the near future, yep. It, yep. It, it, will, it will find an audience and it will inspire others. No doubt. Totally. Hopefully it's another 27 years of doing it. <laughs> yeah, it will. It will for sure. So, uh, Brandon yeah. and Chuck, uh, any message that you want to uh, share to the audience? Uh, I'll, I'll start. It, it's... Listen, I, I think why we try to tell the story of our origins is the most important part of our studio formation because we had nothing. We had duct tape and spit and blood, sweat, and tears. And, and if we can do it, anybody can do it. I don't care if it's something small or big, whatever that is. As Brandon said, you just got to take that step and go for it and be persistent. I mean... We were traveling to Los Angeles every few weeks, knocking on doors, and you know, rough. It was rough in the beginning, you know. Uh, but we found out of all the doors we knocked, we found several relationships that are are massive, heads of studios that gave us shots and opportunities simply because they saw something in us, you know. So we had to move a lot of a lot of dirt, and but we'd find this gold nugget. And then we'd protect it and not abuse it and use it. Uh, so, you know, you just have to grind it. But if, you're, if you don't like it, if this isn't your passion, go do something that you love <laughs> instead. But if this is it, you know, it's a great business and it's a great world to be in. So. Awesome. I'll just add to that that, yes, uh, 
we, I, I, there's no denying that I personally was able to find what I loved and was able to continue to do what I loved throughout my career from my, being a kid to now. And, um, but that is the one thing that I know is really hard and is um, hard to comprehend for a lot of people is to do what they love. And it can be very scary and there's a lot of risk involved. Um, but I, you should never regret not having tried. Um, and so, you know, my message out there is do that thing that you feel like you need to do that you love. Um, you, you have to find the thing that you're passionate about and you can, you know what it is. It's telling you, it's haunting you and you just need to embrace it. And, but it, it can be really scary and it can, um, it can mess things up too. If you, if you, if it goes south, but you will, won't regret having not tried. And so, uh, that's all I got to say is just to go for it, follow your passions and do what you love. Yeah. Go, go find your yellow Volkswagen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. exactly. awesome and um, you want to share your uh, social media links website and all Chuck and Brandon sure uh, sure it's uh, the website's realeffects.com it's uh, r-e-e-l-f-x dot com mm -hmm. uh, Brandon you want to yeah I'll, I'll, I'll plug a few things so our sister company flight school studios dot com um, we have um, obviously all channels on media and social media to tap into yeah. um, and personally I, I'm excited for the game which releases on the 1st of June cool. um, called Stonefly our next video game our, and tonight is the, is the final episode of the animated series that we created for Funny or Die and Paramount Plus called No Activity it was nice. made during the pandemic and tonight the last episode drops So that's worth plugging. Um, it's, a, it's an amazing show that I did not know existed that was live action that got turned into animation because of COVID. And we were lucky enough to be asked to do, be the ones to animate it. And uh, I, I think it's the funniest thing on TV that no one's watching. I hope some of you guys find it and check it out. For sure. And um, you can follow me on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, obviously. Flight School Brandon and mm -hmm. then on Twitter, Brandon Bot. Yep. We'll place uh, all the websites here so you can see it and also on, on the YouTube channel and on Spotify. That way you can click and go and get wild because it's, it's, yeah. uh, it's a beauty. That, that'd be great. There's a, there's a little bit of a difference of age with me and Brandon. <laughs> And you can tell because all I did was do the website for the, <laughs> and Brandon has Brandon has everything, and I'm I'm over here going, I don't even remember my Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great, guys. That's great. Thank you so much uh, for for your time because. No, thank you for inviting us to do this. Yeah, we we've, we've well, been as, as Brandon really as Brandon said earlier, we've been talking about doing this for a long time, and this will help set us into motion to. Of course. You know, Tell these stories. Yeah, you, you've gotten us to. You've gotten the momentum this is, started. This is this is the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot more stories behind. No, I bet. I bet we should do a part two of this or something. So, yeah, let's have a let's have let's have a beer. And, <laughs> and yeah, for sure. Yeah, always one of these days. But thank you so much, guys. Thank you for all the others out there. Uh, hope. Thank you. you thank you. You like yep. it and have a good one. Take care. Thanks, everybody. Bye bye. Thanks. See you later. Bye. Thank you very much. Nice to meet you. Thank you.